a good bench player is constantly cheering on and like getting excited and pumped when the starter does well. And when doesn't and is struggling, has their back, is patting them, you got this, supportive. So we have to notice when someone is the starter, when someone is in the leading role of the parenting, and instead of being critical or passive and removed and not involved, we still have to be involved. Hi, I'm Amy Kiefer, a nurse, doula, and personal trainer. And I'm Crystal Howell, a women's health and orthopedic physical therapist. We're the co-founders of Expecting and Empowered, and we just so happen to be sisters. We built this business because we saw a huge gap between the information that women were given during pregnancy and postpartum and the information that they need. We're committed to helping close the gap so that women are better equipped to navigate these demanding and challenging years. Yes, we're both moms of three, so we know firsthand how many changes women go through physically, mentally, and emotionally because women aren't getting enough information to make informed decisions about their own health. It leaves mothers picking up the pieces afterwards. We need that to change. With our professional backgrounds, we're going to pull the curtain back on this season and give you the information you need to thrive. We're on a mission to change women's health. Let's do this. I've heard this guest speak on a few other podcasts and I really enjoyed it. So I wanted to invite him to come on and speak to our community. So today we will be talking to Ellie Weinstein, a licensed clinical social worker therapist and the host of the Dude Therapist podcast. He works with individuals and couples and specializes in anxiety relationships and parenting. He's a husband and a father of two, and he's really open on Instagram about the mental struggles and realities that dads face. I was telling him right before we got started that I do think that's an underserved topic and something that he speaks really well on. So we thought it would be interesting to have him on to give the lens of the non-birth partner and their experience in parenthood. In this episode, the things that we're going to talk about are not just going to apply to male partners, but any non-birthing partner. So you'll hear me refer to that. I'm so excited to be here. I love the introduction. And first of all, thank you for getting my name right. I appreciate that. You know, Ellie, people call me Eli. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And the Dude Therapist podcast is, you know, a huge passion of mine. And it's just because I'm a dude who's a therapist. But yeah, one of the reasons I started doing what I'm doing and really being more outspoken on Instagram or social media and starting the podcast is when, when I became a dad, I had a massive panic attack and didn't know where to look for support from other men or dads talking about stuff. Now, I know there are people that are talking about it now. I know it exists. I'm not saying that, but um, my my excitement and my specialties with parenting relationships and anxiety, because I see the struggle that parents go through and just try to make it real, honest, and productive in the advice and tips that I get. Um, like I say, my style is no BS with lots of compassion. Oh, I love that. I love the honesty. It's something that we really try to bring here. And what we do know is when you bring a baby into a family, there is a lot of impact. So what we were talking about, it's so easy. (laughs) What we were wondering first is in your own relationship, what did it look like when you brought that first baby home in terms of how did it impact your relationship with your partner? Oh, it was one of the hardest years of our life as a married, as a couple, mm. as a relationship. Uh, we have never fought, argued, 
um, been in each other's throats more in our relationship before or after since that first year of my daughter's life, Ricky. Um, that year changed changed our our whole dynamic. Um, it really caused us to look at ourselves, to look at our needs, to look at what we expected from each other, and really cause important yet hard conversations for us to really get the most out of our relationship. Uh, yeah, I mean, I can relate to that and just the extra demand that comes into a home and how you're going to figure that out and how you can Mm -hmm. both get through it and feel okay. Like I always say, I'm like, it's not, it's that both of you feel well, like that should be the goal of the family. Um, One thing that we don't hear a lot getting talked about is this idea of bonding. So we hear about, you know, the birthing person bonding with their child and how important that is. Mm. But from your perspective, as a person that's a non-birthing parent, what did that experience of bonding feel like? And what do you see in your practice? Yeah, you know, I've wanted to be a dad since I was a kid. Like, since I can remember, I've always wanted to be a dad. Um, And the idea, I was like ready and excited to like click with my daughter. It was, I felt very on the outs of the relationship um, for a few reasons. One, I did not breastfeed. I can't. Um, and the reality is that that was a very special moment, yet very a big struggle for my wife because of just how demanding it is. Um, I didn't have that connection to my daughter of that moment of quiet and calm and love and affection of giving to your child. Um, and I was very, I struggled with that. It was hard for me. Um, and my wife didn't pump because she couldn't make enough for pumping and feeding my daughter. So it was just that experience. And I, I would say that the biggest turnaround for me and my relationship with my daughter was paternity leave because mm-hmm. there was no one else to help. There was no one else to comment. There was no one else to kind of jump in. It was just me and her. It was beautiful. It was scary but it was beautiful. And it caused me to find my path, my role and my style with my child. And I think the biggest tip I would give to people who are the non-birthing parent is to find your style that makes you feel connected to your child, whether it's a sing song, wrestling, cutesy time, bedtime, reading books, playing, whatever you find is your thing with your children make sure you add it in and do it. So you feel a part of that, that kid's journey. And I know for me, like the way I relate with my son, I have a 16 month old son um, is very different than I related with my daughter. Uh, and I'm a huge daddy's girl. Like I'm a whole, I'm a girl dad to the max, like put on a tutu and dance around and have a good time and, you know, and joke around in that way. But I would say that the connection with my son is different. His birth was easier Um, I felt more confident as a parent. Um, so the way I'm relating and the way I connect with him is a lot easier in that way because the way it started. Um, but each kid I have a different thing with that is mine with them. And that's what you have to find with your kid. 
Yeah, that's a really interesting answer for me to hear because I can relate to the idea like I was breastfeeding so much. I thought that I knew like the right way to take care of the baby because I was with him so much. And what I learned over time and something you alluded to is like, I also though needed to give my husband space and needed to give him time to learn his own strategies to soothe. If we never let our partner do it, but then we feel resentful because we're doing it all like that isn't a recipe for success. And like your partner might surprise you because my, my husband is famous for his butt taps on the baby. Like it's a very, he can calm like anyone's baby because he just has this rhythmic way to him. And Mm -hmm. it was like, I was getting in the way of letting him do that because I was a first time mom. And I just felt, I don't know, I was like very protective and I was doing more and I was with the baby more. So like, I see it from both sides, but just calling myself out, like I wasn't letting him do enough. And then you can get into a really hard pattern. So I would say that, I don't know if there's a good terminology for it, but if I would put a name to it, I would call it the push out. Yeah. Um, And it's not done on purpose. Right. So this happens in most couples, most couples, this happens where the birthing parent usually kind of takes the leading role and by, by nature feels such an extreme connection to the child that they feel that they know exactly what the child needs. And so when they see their partner doing it in a different way, not a wrong way, a different way, they will jump in and push the other parent aside and say, no, 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 I got this or no, do it this way because I know it works this way because I've seen it work this way. And by nature, it makes a space in between that parent and the child without the partner realizing, the birthing partner realizing how much of a space it's creating. So one of the things is that that happens naturally. So we have to have the ability to let there be space for that partner to find their voice, find their rhythm, find their style, find their things within that empty space that isn't wrong. Now, I'm not saying that if someone is hurting a child that you should be like, oh, it's just their style. Let them do their thing. But let's say, for example, they put on a diaper a certain way or they change their clothes a certain way or the partner picks certain clothes that doesn't match, but they did it themselves and got the kid dressed in the morning. Who cares? Your kid is healthy and safe and happy. That's the goal healthy, safe, and happy, as well as for your partner to feel safe and secure in their relationship with their child without being criticized or critiqued in ways that don't really matter for a kid's health, safety, and happiness. And that's a big problem that happens in a lot of relationships is that criticism or that criti- that commentary um, in the beginning. Oh, you hold the baby like this when you feed? Oh, no, no, they're going to burp. They're going to get, you know, they're going to gas. Okay, I'll burp. Oh, don't pat them like this or twist them like this or swing them like that. You know, I'm not saying be dangerous. I'm just talking about simple right. things. It doesn't help. It makes the person feel very dismissed. It makes them feel pushed aside and that they don't have a place or role in the kid's life. And that hurts long to long term. Right. Cause then, like I was saying, it's like you get into these patterns and then all of a sudden I was the like, I was the one that dealt with when they become toddlers, their big emotions better. And then I'm having to deal with every tantrum. And then I got so mad at my husband 
But, you know, we're calling out like this, these are very normal things, but you have to have them, you have to have them front of mind so that you notice when you're about to correct, like, you know, so many of my friends like criticizing the way that the other parent dresses them. And it's like, honestly, they're going to spit up on it. Who cares? Like, it's totally fine. Yeah. And I will also just add, sorry to cut you off, just also add that one of the biggest things that we have to realize is that there are seasons to the kid's relationship with you. Yeah. So just because right now, like my daughter went through a phase for a while and she was just with my, my wife. Yeah. And then I was like the nap king. I got her to sleep. I was able to get her to bed. You know, I was just really good at that. Um, and then when my son was born, my daughter really latched onto me. And now that my son is older, it's kind of the pen, the pen has swung backwards to now my wife is like putting her to bed. She's like, really like now she's a little older. She's almost four. She's like, the girls are with the girls and the boys are with the boys and like mommy and me and daddy and Max. And like, it's very cute and I love it. And it's wonderful. Um, Everyone, everyone has their season to shine. Everyone has their, and, and there is like a Chris rock has this, this comedy special. He did a while back where he talks about, being a tambourine player. And he says this idea that like in relationships, sometimes you're the lead guitarist or lead singer, but sometimes your role right now is just the tambourine player playing the, playing the tambourine, but you're going to play the hell out of that tambourine. You're not always going to be the lead singer or the lead, the lead, uh, the lead role. And we have to learn when to appreciate and accept our role of being the tambourine player and watching our person shine in their role of their season with their, with their success, with your kids and then vice versa. But I always, I also have a rule in my relationship is that uh, when it comes to something happening, let's say you're on your watch, a kid falls and hurts themselves or, or something, nothing, nothing severe, nothing deadly, just normal parenting things. It doesn't help to comment on it because I promise you the person who it's happened on their watch feels just as bad. Mm-hmm. So by you pointing it out, will not make them feel any, any better. Like if, if a kid falls and starts bleeding, really, Ellie, how could I already feel bad? I don't need, you know, so be careful of that stuff of like the commentary. It's not, not needed. Yeah. I remember when I had our third, we have three children, three sons. And after the third was about like 18 months, I was in therapy because I was just so overwhelmed and everything was so hard. And I was really, really demanded. And my therapist said to me, Amy, every parent has their season where they're really going to shine. And I am telling you, those boys are going to, because Drew is still there. Like he wanted to help for whatever reason, they were gravitating towards me. And um, she goes, Amy, he's going to have a season to shine. I'm telling you, those little mm-hmm. boys are going to latch onto him. And I started crying at that because I'm like, I'm so demanded, but I also don't want them to like, you know, favor dad. but." To your point, I've seen it with myself. I've seen it with so many of my friends. Parenting is very fluid. It's not going to stay the same. There's going to be these ebbs and these flows and these changes. So, um, you know, kind of hang in there if you're in one of those seasons where you don't think it's going to change. Because I do think that. Even within minutes, by the way, there are moments where my daughter's like, you're the worst parent. I hate you. And then literally three seconds later, it's like, oh, daddy, you're the best. It's like, What? Right. Right. Cause they're kids. They're, you right. know, they're little kids, you know, don't right. take, you got, you can't take everything so seriously. 
Right. Okay. I do want to shift gears. I've heard you speak on this before, but for our listeners, we know that there is such a thing as men experiencing postpartum depression. So I want to get into this conversation of how common is it? And I would also love if you talk about what are some of the symptoms that men tend to present with? Because is it different from what we hear a lot of women going through? Love that question. I'm so glad you brought it up. Uh, there's an amazing uh, therapist, Dr. Cassidy Friedis, who I know I've connected She's been with. on. She's, been, She's been on ours too. Okay, good. I was going to yeah, suggest yeah. if you'd like me to connect <laughs> you guys to her. So so I we're going to talk about postpartum depression and anxiety in one because both exist. I don't know the exact numbers of statistics, so she would and check her out. She knows her dissertation, her research is on that. But I knew, I do know from my own experience, like I said, when I first came on is that about two months into my daughter's life, I had a massive panic attack. Mm. Uh, I never experienced a panic attack before. I mean, literally like curled up in a ball, pulling my hair out experience kind of thing. And if you look at the research uh, by Dr. David Burns in, in feel good therapy and, and uh, when panic attacks, uh, he talked about the idea of not processing or dealing with our, with our emotions and hiding them, so to speak, under the rug or in a closet that you don't want to open. And the hard part is that unconsciously, that stuff bleeds through into our life. If we do not process and deal with the stimulus or deal with the stress or deal with the anxiety or deal with whatever emotions we are feeling, it hits us somehow. Even if you look at like Dr. Gabor Mate's work on uh, how illnesses can be created uh, without, you know, acknowledging it through stress and anxiety in our, in our, in our, our hormone levels and everything going on. So one of the things I just want to put into perspective is that men are human too. Mm -hmm. So if women are feeling a certain thing of postpartum, I promise you men feel postpartum as well. It's just about how and why. So usually the reason given for postpartum women is hormone shifting and body change, right? But there's also the idea of reality shifting, so that also we have to take into account for men, right? So I will say this just a perspective. Whoever is carrying the child has been processing the fact that there is a baby growing in their freaking body for nine months or so, right? Depending on the, the uh, pregnancy. They have felt the kicking, felt the movement, been to the doctor's appointments, saw the scans, been involved literally internally with that experience of growing a human. And they still struggle when the baby comes out to this new reality. So imagine someone who is not the birthing parent, not experiencing any of those things. And then it's a reality. It's all been theoretical and now it's reality. So that shift of that state of life can be very shocking to the system. We cannot downplay that. It is shocking to everyone's system that there is now a human that you are responsible for. I'm not talking about, of course, now you have to add on to the idea of sleep deprivation and life-changing and finances and all the stress that now comes with the beauty of having a kid or kids or children. So men, what happens is that the way it shows up normally with men is shortness, isolation, mm -hmm. and kind of removal. And one of the things that I, I have set to post in the next couple of weeks on my, on my Instagram is the white knight syndrome which happens to a lot of men. What I mean by that is, and I don't know if that's a real term, I just came to my head, is the idea of putting yourself last for your partner and child, right? I'm going to save the day. 
I know I'm suffering. I know I'm struggling, but my wife needs me more and my, my newborn needs me even the most. So a lot of reasons why postpartum anxiety and depression happen in men is because they put themselves last when it comes to how they take care of themselves. And it's just a natural thing that men do, which is so unhealthy and I hope changes uh, with the work that I'm doing and so many people are doing to just deal with your stuff. And to uh, coin a term, we need to be more self-full focused as, as, as humans. Not selfish, not selfless, but self-full. It's not selfish, take time for yourself. It's self-full, self-focused. So I think when it comes to postpartum anxiety and depression, it's when we don't deal with our stuff and focus on ourselves. And men feel alone and isolated to open up to other men that they're struggling. I remember when I opened up about my panic attack, I had like 17 messages from other men in the community and other things that people that I knew. Oh crap, <laughs> I, felt this, I feel the same way. Oh my gosh. And you put that in such terms. I never knew a dad would feel. I felt that also. So, and I remember, and I, I want to make sure to tell the story. When uh, we went to our first, our Ricky's first doctor's appointment, right? Went in and we feel, and you fill out a PHQ-9, which is the depression scale. And usually who goes to the doctor's appointments? The mom. The mom. But my mom, my wife and I both went. And I filled out the form because my wife was breastfeeding Ricky. And the doctor looked at the form and went, Ariella, are you okay? She's like, yeah, I'm doing great. Why? Because you didn't do so well on the score. And I'm like, I filled it out. And he looked at me and went, are you okay? And I said, I don't think so. And every doctor's appointment after that I would show up to, he would check in on me, the doctor, the pediatrician, right? So the first thing we have to realize is whoever is listening, uh, the birthing parent, check in with your partner. I know you're struggling. I know you're tired. I know you might not be okay, but they might not be okay too. So each of you need to check in on each other. Hey, are you good? I want to help. How can I help? What can I do to help you? What can I do to give you some time to recoup, to recover, to deal with the, the, the life? It's so real and happens so much more often than we think in men. They get angry, short, isolated, and removed. And that's how they're dealing with their depression and anxiety. And that's not a fun place to be. So if you see your partner not sleeping, not eating, spacing out, not themselves, remember, you know them. If they're not their baseline, and it's not because they haven't slept because of the baby, but just something's off, please ask. Show compassion. Give them a space to express with safety and security that you have their back. And I promise you, they will open up when you give them that space. Yeah, I even when I'm listening to you, I'm like, I think it's really hard because a lot of couples are in this dynamic where they become almost like, opponents versus a team. Mm -hmm. So they're thinking like, well, you are just, you're just, you're just throwing out the amazing ideas here. (laughs) Well, Ellie, what, what do you like? What do you mean? I'm breastfeeding. I'm up more, you know, my body is you're tired. I'm tired. Exactly. And it's like, I, I have compassion because I've had three kids. I understand what a woman goes through, but we are trying to open up the idea of like, a male partner can be going through stuff too. And our goal would that would be that both people are mentally well and healthy. And somehow we're going to get through this 
together instead of comparing and, you know, Mm -hmm. doing the comparative suffering. So, but what we do know is that a lot of men do have trouble expressing their, especially if they're struggling, expressing Mm -hmm. that. And so how do we approach this conversation in a safe manner so that we can get them the help that they need? Because Mm. I do think it's changing, but I do know a lot, my my girlfriends versus my guy friends, a lot more of the women are in therapy than the men. And I don't know. If, 100%. I don't think it's that the women are the ones that need it, but they're more open to it. So women are more open to change and working on themselves than men ever are, just the natural thing. But I will also add that idea that you said about being enemies or like adversaries. Yeah. I want to throw an idea from the concept of dialectical behavioral therapy, DBT. And it's this and that is the concept, right? Which means that this and that can both exist and be true at the same time. I am tired and so are you. If we have a conversation of this and that, we don't, we're not enemies. We're just two realities existing together. If it's but, then it's dismissive. I'm tired, but you can't be because I'm tired. No, no, I'm tired and you're tired. This is not a comparison game. Once we start doing that, right? I did this and you also did that. I got the kids ready for school and you drove them to school. It's not that I did more and you did less. It's a different struggle, a different scenario. When we start doing the this versus that, we are going to be at each other's throats. We are not enemies. We are teammates. Now, it doesn't mean that teammates don't get sassy with each other and frustrated of performance. Look at sports all around. People get upset at each other and yell on the bench and in, in locker rooms. But in the end, you're still one goal. The goal is to win together as a team. Once you start breaking each other apart and siloing each other against each other, you will lose. This is not tennis where it's one-on-one. This is a team effort and you need each other in, in however you can show up. And if you can't show up in some way, express. Now, to go to your question about the idea of how to create that space, the first thing I would suggest is men, if you're listening, and women, if you're listening, create an ability for your partner to have space outside of the home. What I mean by that is find their tribe of men. Men thrive on social ability and tribe, whether it's a stupid thing like, I don't know, sports draft or like something like, you know, fantasy football or baseball, whatever it is. I'm, I never got into that, but, or, or, or bowling or a sporting event or even not sporting, but just going to hang out with their buddies that helps relieve the tension. Men naturally statistically are shown to be something that we call bottlers, which means they shove everything very deep like a soda bottle mm-hmm. and every opportunity shakes till it implodes or explodes. And then there's space for more afterwards, but we need to learn to open that bottle and release the tension so it doesn't keep exploding. So we have to give them opportunities to find that and do our best, just like hopefully they do the best for you to give you the opportunities to have your self-care and your girl time and your relaxation and your recovery. That's one. Two, it's constantly being in a place of two important states, safety and security. Safety, which I hope happens in most relationships, which is physical, right? That I'm not going to jump on you or hurt you or scream at you. 
and security is emotional, where I give you the space to express without holding things against you, without getting offended or defensive or aggressive with you. That if uh, your, your partner expresses, hey, I'm feeling like we haven't connected in a while. And the response is, are you kidding me? We have a baby in the house. What do you think we're going to do? That's not security. Because you hope that they will give you the security when you express yourself. The same rule applies for them. So it's constantly reassuring them, hey, I'm here for you. What can I do for you? Uh, and a third suggestion, which I heard recently, which I really love, is a couple's journal. So what this is, is a journal that you buy for each other, one journal. Um, and it is a space that is safety and security built into the structure of this, co- this deal. This little journal. You put it on your side table. And if you feel necessary, you write something to the person. If you don't feel comfortable expressing it or don't want to do it or, or too tired, you know, and you give them and you, and you leave the journal on their side table and they have an opportunity to read it, respond in the journal or respond personally without having to have full conversations, but it gives them a space to express and gives you a space to express that having to get into hopefully, un, uh, uh, unfortunately, a huge argument over just Simple frustrations that build up that are not big deals, but in our heads become big deals. So that's the third thing I would suggest. Yeah, I really like that one because I find like when we read words, we're able to take them in and sit with them a little bit better. And sometimes when Mm -hmm. we hear it come from our partner's mouth, we have a tendency to get a little bit more defensive about Mm -hmm. it. So it's, I don't know, that just the idea. It's a buffer. Yeah, exactly. And another one of your points, my husband, when we became parents, he was actually one of the first of his friends to have children and he Mm. didn't have any friends locally. And I just said to him, babe, I really think you need to make some friends that live in town. Like he was so loyal to his high school friends, to his college friends, but we were building a life here. And Mm. so I helped him make a couple guy friends and like, they're some of his best friends now and they have kids. And so they're able to connect on that level of being dads. Whereas his other friends just couldn't relate to that part of his life Mm. and his demand anymore. Yeah. And, and to your point too, when you were like, my husband calls me out because he's like, I am willing to give you time away. You're just not taking it. So as women, sometimes we're not taking the opportunities that we're affording to Drew's going to play golf tonight. I went to dinner last night with a girlfriend. Like we both need that time. Don't put yourself on the bench, you know, for Mm -hmm. the next few years, because like, you'll come to find out like that's a quick ticket to burnout. I did want to get into another sports analogy because I saw on your Instagram, you have highlighted this idea of, are you a starter or are you a bench player? So I want to know, what did you mean by this when we're talking about how helpful partners can be? And when we think about what is the partner's responsibility in parenthood? So what what I really meant by that, and uh, thank you for doing uh, some research. I appreciate that. Um, The idea of being a starter means who is the focus of that kid's life right now? Right. So when my daughter was first born, the starter was my wife. So bench players, if you ever watch, let's just say basketball, um, a good bench player is constantly cheering on and like getting excited and pumped when the starter does well. 
and one doesn't and is struggling, has their back, is patting them, you got this, supportive. So we have to notice when someone is the starter, when someone is in the leading role of the parenting, and instead of being critical or passive and removed and not involved, we still have to be involved as the other person, which means having their back. You got this. Great job. Thanks so much for doing that. You did awesome. That was amazing. I really appreciate you. Or if they're struggling going, yeah, that was a lot today. Let me, let me be there for you to support you. So for example, if, uh, if one of you is working late and the other person is doing, you know, pick up and dinner, that's hectic. It's not mm-hmm. fun. It's not easy. It can be hard. So the other person is the starter, right? Going out and getting the kids and dealing with the kids by themselves for an hour or so. The other person who has other responsibilities, not that they're not, they're being lazy or being, you know, just sitting on their butt doing nothing. They're working or doing something else. How can I, when I'm done, show up for my person to support them so that they're okay? That might mean cleaning up after dinner. That might mean letting them sit on the couch and relax, giving them a massage. What TV show do you want to watch while I put the kids to bed, right? Who, like, what do you need as a starter? What can I do as a bench player to help you rest so that you recover and come back on the court and be that much stronger, right? That's what I mean by the starter bench warmer mentality. I know I, I was a bench warmer all my life growing up <laughs> in high school. I was a hockey player and I loved to play. Yeah. But my role was like the third line where I played against the first line during practice to get them better to win. And I only see that now as I'm older, but it sucked when I was in high school. I'm like, dang it. I just want to, I just want to play. But sometimes you, it's not your time to play. Sometimes your role is to just cheer, support, and help hone their abilities to be the starter and be the best that they can be. I loved that answer so much because what comes up in our community a lot is, of course, there's this shift of like, you want your partner to take some things off your plate. But a lot of women are simply like, I just want to be acknowledged for all that I am doing because I'm working so hard, you know, to do every, to do a lot of things for this family. And so that acknowledgement goes such a long way, but I think it's easy in day-to-day life to forget it. Yeah. But I would say the biggest thing we can do for people, and I, and I work with couples every day of my work is small points of gratitude. Yes. And I'm talking gratitude for the stupidest things that you can think of. The things that are a given. Thank you for putting your underwear in the laundry. Thank you for cleaning up. Thank you for washing your dish. Thank you for making me a coffee this morning. Hey, I see you. I appreciate you. And it's funny because research just came out the last year or two that the top priority of women statistically in heterosexual relationships is to be loved. The top priority for men in heterosexual relationships is to be respected. It doesn't mean that that's not in the top five of the other person. But number one is to feel loved. And each person in a relationship needs to find out what that means for their partner. To be respected, I hear this so often in the men that I work with. It's like, I cleaned up today and she didn't even notice. Mm. Why would I clean up tomorrow if she doesn't even realize? Dude, that's your responsibility. They don't care. They want to see like, oh, thanks, babe, for doing that. It really meant a lot. 
Just start by noticing for both of you, because it makes someone feel seen and loved that I see the hard work you're putting in. And it's such a simple thing that we can do because we want it. Why wouldn't we do it for our person? We're a team. Remember we're together. So I got to support you and give you love. So great job. You got this. Oh, wow. I see you're tired. Let me show up for you. It's just about showing up as best as you can. Now, of course, there are hard days and really rough days and you don't always have the energy. That's okay. But more often than not, just little small things. Thanks for getting up early with the kiddos. Thanks for making breakfast. Thanks for locking the house up and putting, you know, like all these stupid things. Thanks for walking the dog, whatever it could be. Just, I appreciate you. Yeah, it just, it changes the climate of the relationship because I know my husband and I have gotten into a pattern where it mostly felt kind of negative. Like we were criticizing each other and like now we're in a much better place. And so hopefully, you know, people hearing these answers can implement it and start to kind of change that climate. Something that when you were talking earlier, something that came into my head is this idea of a lot of times we hear all over Instagram about mom guilt. It's a Mm. really common experience. Most women have gone through it. Is there such a thing is as dad guilt? And it's, it's interesting because men in my experience have, have an ability to go on with their lives a little bit better than women do. But as to your point, obviously there are things that men can be really impacted by too. So I'm, I'm curious as to your answer, does dad guilt exist? Of course it exists. I just think it's very different. I think mom guilt, the reason why it's so popular and so up there and saying things like that, I think it's such a deeper connection to the child than we will ever understand as dads. Um, remember birthed, connected. I mean, my, my daughter's birthday is coming up in June and my wife's like, Oh, it makes me emotional every year. It's her birthday. And I'm like, why? She's like, cause I, it was a day that I gave birth to her. And I'm like, yeah. Okay. Like it, I'm like, it, it's, 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 it's a powerful day for me because it's a day that my daughter came into our world and changed our life forever for an amazing, amazing way. But I don't feel as emotional about it. I'm not as deeply connected to that idea because I did not birth our child. I was there. I, I love my daughter to the end of the world, but I think that the dad guilt shows up of missed opportunities. Mm. I wasn't there for this. I couldn't be there for that. Um, but I think there is just a deeper connection that moms and the birthing parents have to that child. You know, and, and I do think that there's a lot of, and I'm, I'm going to be sassy and controversial mm-hmm. for a second. I think that's overused a little too much. Like, oh, I have mom guilt. I can't let my kid go to school. And, and, and you know, and now we have to pay extra money for babysitting and I'm, don't want to go back to work because how could I do that to my child, right? I'm just being really extreme for a second. But in reality, sometimes that's an excuse or we also have to realize that mom guilt is okay. It is the sadness and the anxiety of letting go. That's hard. But so is a lot of other things. So how do we do? how do we deal with other anxieties and other things of letting go can we utilize that for our mom guilt or our parenting guilt of letting go? And I think when we start to let go and, and, and really 
appreciate the growth and progress of our child for what it is and make it not about us, but about them. It helps our child's our children that much more. And I, and I can think of like seven parents that I know I've known over the years that hold on a little too tight to their kids for a little too long, just because they, how could I, how could I abandon my child and send them to school? It's important. They go to school so that they have socialization and they're out of your life. So you can have a life. That's really important. Yes. Is it stressful? Yes. Is it anxiety inducing? Of course. Do you feel bad? Sure. Is it sad? Of course. I cried when I dropped my daughter off for babysitting the first time because I'm letting someone, I could not believe that I was letting someone else watch my child and take care of my child, but it's needed because I had to go to work. So we have to learn to appreciate the feelings and deal with them and not let those feelings stop us from helping our kid progress or even ourselves progress and move forward with our lives through that progress and through that process. But I do think that mom guilt is just a a deeper, just a deeper connection that dads will never feel. But dads do have, you know, sadness about missing things and, and letting go. It's hard. Yeah. I I mean, I, I appreciated your, um, your honesty on that one, because I do think in my experience, working through mom guilt has been really important for me. So not just wearing it as a heavy winter coat all the time, but like, how can I switch this out for a lighter spring layer of, yes, I feel it, but I'm also able to function and I'm able to work through the guilt that comes up and I'm able to question it and wrestle it. Like, I don't think that being a working mom is like my core belief is that I can be a really good mom and I can work. So like when that working mom guilt comes up, I have to question it and really decide what I believe. So I did appreciate that because I do think, you know, some people use it as if like, we can't get it to a better place when I do think that we can. I was say, it doesn't mean that you're like forgetting about your child, right? Like, let's put that in perspective, just because you're a working mom or you're letting go a little bit and, and giving control over to other things and other people, you're not stopping being a parent. But that means then what I really suggest to a lot of parents that when you are in the zone of parenting, you lock in and you show up, put your phone down, be there, because if you're going to have guilt about missing out, which makes sense, sounds natural, feels sad and worrisome, but it has to happen at some point. That means when you have opportunities, show up for the opportunities. Don't let them slide. You can't have it both ways. You can't have guilt. And then when you have dinner time, you're looking at your phone and scrolling through TikTok and watching something on TV. You know, you have to show up for your kid then. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to get into a hard conversation, but we know it's so important. So this idea of communication as to you, as to your point before, we know healthy relationships maintain and create respectful communication, but we also know that those little people years have a lot of stress and stress can cause conflict. And, and we were both saying like, We've both experienced when you're just, you're butting heads over things that before you never would have. So in that season, when things are really hard, what are your tips for how people can center their communication and try to create a really respectful place, a really respectful home? First of all, I love the little people years. I love that terminology. I think that's so adorable. Two things I would suggest, by the way, 
is that first we need to learn what we actually need. Sometimes we get so upset and don't know why we're upset and don't know what we're upset about. So the first thing I would suggest to any couple who is struggling with communication is what do you need out of this relationship? What do you need from your partner? What do you need for you? That's the first thing. If you don't know what you need, you can't express what you need. So the first thing is, what do I need? The second thing is, well, what do I expect? So I talk often about this idea of the Holy Trinity, um, which I'm a religious Jew, so it's kind of weird that I talk about the Holy Trinity. But all joking aside, um, the Holy Trinity to me is expectations, our reality, and our perceptions, and how they coexist. So if I expect you to behave with me accordingly to a certain way, and you don't, and I perceive that as a problem, my reality is going to be frustrated and angry. So I like to give the example that's pretty stupid, but I always give it, is if you're working from home, or you're at home with the kids, and there are dishes in the sink, or laundry needs to be done, and I expect you without telling you, because, hey, I see it, you should see it. I come home, it's not done. My first perception is you are the laziest piece of garbage, or you are so damn annoying that you can't even figure out to do that. What the heck were you doing all day? The reality is you don't know the reality. You have created the reality in your mind that something that there was laziness or lack of, of awareness, and you get upset. And then you deal with your partner accordingly. We need to know what we expect first and express that expectation to see if it can be a reality. If it can't be, how do we adjust our expectation to the reality? So those two things of what do I need and what do I expect and how do I let my person know? So here's what a way to do that. Communicate it with, um, there's this concept called active love. Uh, that's been coined by uh, Phil Stutz, you know, the Stutz documentary with Jonah Hill. Um, and it's the idea of how do I take all the love that I have for this person? I love this person for a reason. I care about this person. There's a reason why I'm in this relationship, having children with this person. How do I take all that feeling and shove it towards them and how I express and talk to them? How do I have kind forward and compassion forward conversations with a person that I love? It doesn't mean I can't be frustrated, but how do I come with it with a tone of compassion and kindness, not attacking and aggressive? So if I go, you did this and you didn't do that. And how could you do this? And I'm so annoyed at you, right? You're pointing, you're aggressive. You're not going to get the response that you need. But if you come with it with like, hey, I'm really struggling right now. And I really want to talk to you about something. Do you have a few moments? Like make that, make that tone soft, kind and compassionate versus aggressive, intense, and hurtful because automatically anyone will become defensive when they feel attacked. But if they feel compassionate and care and love in your tone, hopefully most times they will give that back. It's just about how we start the conversation and continue without taking everything so personally and just talking about our needs in a very general sense of this is what I need to do a good job as a parent, to be the best partner that I can be. Not you are doing something wrong. Do better. It's just, it's so complicated because I feel like we could have a whole episode on communication. Um, I guess I have to come back. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just, I was, I had like so many thoughts while you were talking. This idea of also, there's two things. Number one, as we were talking about, like in the very beginning of the episode, sometimes it's not done in your timing. So a lot of my friends will get frustrated with their partner because they want the dishes done. They wanted them done 10 minutes ago, but the partner is like, well, I, why do I have to do them then? I can do them in a little bit. Like I, I will do them. Um, but I don't need you to manage me. And then my second thought that was, that kept coming up as you were talking to is this idea. I've seen this so much on Instagram is women are like, I'm so sick of telling my partner what I need or what I expect. Like, shouldn't he know? Like, why doesn't he know he's a grown adult? He's got a nice job. Like, why can't he figure out what to do in here? Yeah. So that, that to me is really just being realistic with our person that it doesn't have to be done your way. It just has to get done. Right. Same thing with the parenting thing I said, right. That that's the push out mentality that if it's not done my way, it's, it's wrong. As long as it's done, I I work with a couple or I used to work with a couple that they, um, what the, the wife wanted the husband to fold the towels and bed sheets a certain way. And he would fold it the way that he felt made sense and it would cause an argument so much between the two of them when in reality the sheets were folded done and put away but if it wasn't done her way she would get upset and then feel like well if you're not going to do it i'm going to do everything you're putting a burden on yourself more that doesn't need to be done you're making it harder for yourself you need to trust that the person did it okay and if you really don't want it and if you really don't like it that way that's on you to do it then if you feel you're the only one who can do it, don't complain that someone else can't do it. They can. You just don't like the way they do it. That's a different story. It's not like they are unable to or physically unable to or they don't have arms and legs. They have arms and legs. They can do it. You just don't like the way they do it. So that the bur- that makes the responsibility burden on you to either deal with that they can do it and you're okay or you do it and don't get upset about it. That's your choice. So when it comes to the idea of, well, they should see it and be aware not everyone sees everything that you see. So I happen to be a pretty perceptive person. And when it comes down to the perception, I, I see a lot. It's my ADHD. I see a lot. I notice all these little things and it can be overwhelming. My wife does not see those things the same way that I do. It doesn't mean that she did anything wrong or that I'm doing anything wrong by seeing them. But I have this rule of thumb. If it bothers you and you see it, you do it. If it doesn't bother you, don't comment and complain about it. And if you feel that you need more help in the kitchen or in the house, have a kind conversation. Hey, I really feel like I'm doing a lot right now. And I know you're doing a lot too, but I really think I need, can, can you help a little bit more here? Cause I feel like it's just lately. I just feel like I'm doing just a, a lot. I feel very overwhelmed. Not that they're not Remember, the, the phrasing mm-hmm. can't be, you don't, you're not doing anything. It's, I feel overwhelmed and I need a little help to just lessen my load a little bit right now. But if you notice it and it bothers you and it does, and the other person doesn't see by you making them feel bad, they don't see it or making them feel like crap because how could you not see something? It's right in front of your face. They're not on the same wavelength and they're not in your head as you. So be aware of that. And if it really bothers you, you do it. You don't have to say anything about it. You see something before, just pick it up. I think household chores are a stupid argument all the time because in the end, it's joint responsibility of a place that you both live. So if you see something, 
take care of it. It's like the New York City, right? If you see something, say something. But we're going to change it to if you see something, take care of it. So you don't have to point it out and be like, how could you not do it? You do it. And hopefully everyone's doing the same thing by paying attention and, and taking care of this joint responsibility of the home. I cannot wait to lovingly play that part for my husband because he's very much like you. He sees everything, but he always says it out loud. Like it's this constant. You don't need to come back. And I know. And I'm like, I, I do a million. Other I've things, had to work very hard on that. Yes. I've had to, I've had to it's work hard. very hard on that. I know. Yes. I know it's a struggle that I have in my relationship yes. that I would just comment on things like, Oh, that's there. Oh, that's there. Oh, you left that out. Oh, it, it's not needed. If it really bothers me. I'll, let me take care of it. And if it doesn't bother me, I need to trust and be and be secure enough that my partner will take care of it when they when they come downstairs or when they see it. They will because they always do it in the end. Me commenting doesn't change that. It just hurts and makes someone feel attacked constantly. Uh I could talk to you forever, but because we are out of time, I want you to let everyone know where they can find more of you. Sure. So I have a website, LCSW.com, where my podcast is and some blogs that I'm terrible at updating because I I hate writing. Um, and you can check me out on Instagram at Weinstein underscore LCSW or the podcast, The Dude Therapist. Uh, I'm launching a few masterclasses. I have a masterclass at the end of May. Uh, I don't know when this episode is going to air on this topic of relationships and thriving when babies arriving. Uh, and hopefully a few more on love basics and things like that that hopefully will come out. But please reach out, ask your questions, push back, give feedback on anything I've said. I would love to help you in your relationships and in your parenting any way I can. Please don't be shy. I know I'm not. So it's all good. <laughs> if you guys like this episode, we would be so honored if you shared it on Instagram, tagging both of our accounts. Thanks so much for listening. 